0: Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. Most of us are familiar with the tradition of scary stories. Usually, while gathered around a campfire, people will swap spooky tales about things that go bump in the night. These fanciful stories were just enough to scare you without totally pushing you over the edge. But what happens when scary stuff starts happening in real life? Whether you prefer paranormal activity or tales of adventurous escapes of death's grasp, I'm about to share some true stories that might make your skin crawl or rob you of some of your sleep tonight. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, Weirdos, this is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, crime, conspiracy, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you're new here, welcome to the podcast, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. If you're already a weirdo, please share the podcast with others. Doing so helps make it possible for me to keep creating episodes as often as I do. Coming up in this episode… Did the light of heaven shine supernaturally onto the body of boxer Lute McCartney when he died in the ring? Thousands of witnesses say yes as does the photographic evidence. Anna Baker's father would not allow her to marry the man she loved, but that didn't stop her from wearing her wedding dress numerous times before her death. The scary folks over at Graveyard Shift have gathered some creepy stories from real people who have survived some terrifying encounters with the strange and paranormal. We begin with those stories. While listening, be sure to check out the Weird Darkness website. At WeirdDarkness.com you can sign up for the newsletter to win monthly prizes, find paranormal and horror audiobooks I've narrated, watch old horror movies for free, plus you can visit the Hope in the Darkness page if you're struggling with depression or dark thoughts. You can find all of that and more at WeirdDarkness.com. Now, bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. A few years ago I was living in a fairly nice apartment complex having a cigarette on my balcony around 3am on a Tuesday night. I'm usually on my phone, but I get this weird chill and looked up to see a middle-aged man walking down the sidewalk across the complex. It struck me that he did not belong here, and I realized he wasn't one of our residents. As I was thinking this, he suddenly stopped and looked right at me, making eerie, way-too-long eye contact and then rushed off between buildings in the opposite direction of my apartment. I told my husband about it and joked that if we get a knock on our door in the next 15 minutes, we can assume it's that creeper. Sure enough, 10 minutes later, there is this quiet, faint tap-tap-tap on our door. My eyes probably popped out of my head, and my husband jumped up to grab his gun from the other room. I slowly walked up to the door to look through the peephole, holding my breath, and there was the man that I had seen looking right at me through the peephole. I know he wasn't able to actually see me, but the image of him looking right into my eye still freaks me out to this day. My husband walked up to the door, stared through the peephole, and shouted, What? in his threatening voice. Apparently the man had his hand on the doorknob and jerked back in surprise to hear a man's voice. Dude asked for Jeremy or some made-up name, And my husband told him to leave. After messing around a little longer, the guy finally walked downstairs only to peer up into my living room window from the lawn. I closed the blinds and he moved over to stare at me through the balcony door. He didn't move on until after I shut that one too. We called security and gave a clear description and everything. A few days later, we got a report from our complex that an apartment had been robbed around that same time of the night. What keeps me up at night is this question. If you're going to rob an apartment, why would you go to do that on one that you definitely know somebody's awake and home in? My bedroom is on the second floor of the house. There's no patio, porch, overhang of any kind beneath my windows. A couple years ago, I was watching TV in bed around 2 a.m. and heard a louder than usual animal sound not uncommon to hear squirrels running around on the roof from time to time, didn't think much of it, kept on happening and started to sound awfully close to the window, not on the roof. I ignored it for a pretty long time. After at least 40 to 45 minutes of being irritated by the noise, I banged on the wall in hopes of scaring off whatever it was so I could get some sleep. Just two quick bangs with my fist, which were answered with two bangs on the wall, right next to the second-story window from outside. Needless to say, I just about crapped my pants and jumped out of bed. Now My living room has a bay window and is on the other end of the house, so I could take a look out that window from the side and see my bedroom window. So I hustled downstairs to peek out. I see a guy standing in front of my house below my bedroom window. He's got a knife, a small pocket knife in his hand, and he's petting the front of my house. They call the police and wait. He never leaves the front of the house, even when they roll up and ultimately disarm and arrest him without much of a struggle. The Amy Bradley Disappearance She disappeared from a cruise ship en route to Caraco in 1998, and years later photos were emailed to her parents that very much resembled her and looked like she had been sold into sex slavery. Multiple people have also claimed to see her through the years. The Wikipedia page on her case lists the sightings, and there's an FBI missing persons report, including sketches of people that she was seen with in 2005. The whole story is just chilling and terrifying. We moved into a new house a few months ago. As we were in the process of purchasing the home, the renter who was living in it died unexpectedly of natural causes in his mid-40s. He died right in the middle of the living room. Shortly after, we move into the house, and almost immediately, our two year old daughter starts talking about the ghost that lives in our house. Now, let's be real here. She is two, and two year olds are very impressionable. Halloween had recently passed, and she had this Halloween themed picture book that she loved to read, so it is entirely possible that all of this talk of ghosts was just coming from looking through that book on a regular basis. Still, she was always telling me that the ghost was in her playhouse in the basement, or that the ghost was on the stairs, or that the ghost was standing in the corner. She never seemed to be afraid of the ghost and actually considered him to be her friend, so I wasn't all that concerned, even if there really was a ghost haunting our house. If he's a nice and helpful ghost, it could certainly be a lot worse. I would often tell the ghost that he was welcome to stay if he wanted to, but he was also welcome to go if that would make him happier. I was about 30-70 on the ghost being real and she could see and talk to him versus the ghost being just in her imagination fueled by her Halloween book. Until one day, when we were going out to the car to go to daycare in the morning. It was still dark out and rainy. My daughter told me that the ghost was on the back deck and that she told me today was the ghost's birthday and she wanted to sing him happy birthday. Once again, I mostly disregarded what she was saying as she is birthday-obsessed and has in the past made us sing happy birthday to Mickey Mouse, a bowl of fruit snacks, even the bathroom. So we sang and wished the ghost a happy birthday and went on with our lives. Later that day, out of pure curiosity, I looked up the obituary of the man who had died in our house. And wouldn't you know it, That day was his birthday. A 58 year old man living alone in Japan started hearing noises at night and noticing things out of place in his house. He installed video cameras. Turns out a homeless man had been living in his attic and cupboards for almost a year in his house, undetected. I lived in an apartment a few years ago, four units upstairs four units downstairs. I lived upstairs and the apartment below me was vacant. I kept hearing footsteps through the apartment, though, and I knew I shouldn't have. Nobody was supposed to be downstairs. I asked somebody to come over and listen just to see if I was crazy. Maybe I'm just hearing other apartments since it's empty downstairs and everything's just echoing. Wrong. I kept hearing the footsteps. This went on for a solid hour. Finally, I called the landlord and the police. Apparently, someone had broken in through the windows downstairs and was walking back and forth through the apartment with a knife. It was horrifying. I saw something on National Geographic a while ago about the murders of albinos in Tanzania. There was one case of a family with two albino sisters, one of which had her arms and legs hacked off in the middle of the night to sell on the black market. The other albino girl laid next to her sister for the remainder of the night as her sister bled to death. They live in a very secluded hut with no electricity. Albino limbs are reportedly worth a lot in certain parts of Africa for use in traditional witchcraft. I was with my wife and children driving to a local Walgreens when my wife suddenly stopped the car and pointed into the street. I looked and saw two young children in the middle of the road in diapers, wandering around and looking confused. My wife ran out as I stayed in the car with my kids, picked up the smaller one, and took the hand of the older one to walk them into the parking lot of the Walgreens. Up close, I could tell that both diapers were horribly soiled, as in not changed in days. They were both dirty and smelled awful. It was fairly cold and was raining some, so the children were also cold and shivering. We immediately called the police and waited with the children until they arrived. The younger child was approximately two years old, and my wife comforted him. He just kind of laid there and looked happy to be getting some attention. The older child was about four or five and, as I stated, was still in a diaper. He couldn't speak and looked very frightened of anyone getting near him. He would grunt and whimper, but seemed to have no way to communicate at all despite his age. I had to gently keep him in the area as he was trying to run off, but finally got him to calm down by wrapping a warm blanket around him and humming to him. The cops arrived after about 10 or 15 minutes and took our statement of what had happened. We told them our story, continuing to comfort the children until a team of paramedics got to the scene to make sure the kids didn't need medical attention for exposure hypothermia, etc. After a while, maybe an hour after we had first found them, a strung-out woman wanders onto the scene and says casually that the children are hers. She's obviously high and tries claiming to the cops that the children were only gone for five or ten minutes. The cop called her on her bull story and spent the next couple of minutes yelling, asking her how she could let her children wander a fairly busy street almost naked in the rain and cold a man who identifies himself as their dad arrived, shirtless and filthy, also strung out. The cop asked why the older boy was not speaking, and they said he never did, not elaborating why that was. When asked where they live, they told conflicting stories, obviously trying to lie to the cop to make it seem the children had not wandered far, but from what it seemed, they lived at least several blocks away. The mom tried to take the children, but the police stepped in and told her that they were in police care now and would be assessed by a CPS rep at the police station before they would be able to return home. Not long after that, we were told that we could go as they gathered all they needed from us. I never found out what happened to those kids. I hope they got the help they obviously needed. I am still bothered by the whole event. I wonder what kind of life they led. To leave them filthy mute and alone in the middle of a city street. I drove past a car on my way to class in college. I always took the back roads to avoid traffic, so it was a bit odd to have a car parked on the side of the road. When I came back from class, it was still there. I drove by a bit more slowly and saw what I thought was someone sleeping in there. I thought that was odder still, but maybe someone was traveling and decided to pull off to take a rest and just fell asleep longer than they'd planned. Nope. Next morning, I read in the paper a wife killed her husband and dumped his body and the car on that back road. Occasionally, I get mild bouts of insomnia. Nothing serious, usually just a delay in my bedtime of an extra couple or three hours. One night, I suddenly just cannot sleep. Nothing will get me to relax and I eventually give up and just sit in the front room playing heavy rain all night as if it had come out a few days ago. The next day when I head off to work exhausted with zero hours of sleep, I got a text from my roommate. Dude, the police are all over the apartment complex. Apparently nine apartments, including our downstairs neighbor, were broken into last night, with people still at home sleeping. Some people even reported things being stolen from the rooms they were sleeping in. It hit me that, had I not stayed up all night and left the light on in the front room, we probably would have been robbed. Or worse. Centralia, Pennsylvania. It was a pretty decent sized coal mining town, and in the 60s, a fire, which I believe was started at a landfill but was not put out completely, caught an exposed coal vein on fire, and the fire burns underground up to this day. In the 80s, the government started paying people to leave and buying up all the land and destroying the houses so nobody would live there. Since they didn't exactly force people to leave, the town still has a population of about 10 people. There's still enough coal underground to keep the fire burning for a very long time. I've been there before, and in person it is really eerie. It's a bunch of empty streets with one or two houses, a church, and some cemeteries. One part of the highway, which was closed off and rerouted because of the fire, is all cracked and misshapen so the road is really uneven. One of the weirdest things is the steam that comes out through the ground. It almost looks like little hot springs everywhere, but it's really all coming from the fire below. I was out in the middle of nowhere at a musical conference my wife was presenting, held at an old church retreat camp. One of her presentations ran way over, so the lodge's cafeteria was closed. With no car, no phone this area was so remote there was no coverage for mobile and no vending machines, the only resort was to walk into the nearest town and get food. I grabbed a coat and flashlight and had no issue on the trip down, snagged a pizza from a spot along the highway around midnight. On the way back it was a different story. I got a severe feeling of discomfort. I could feel eyes on me. This was out in the middle of the woods, so my first instinct is there's an animal following me. Knowing most predators like to hit from either above or behind, I turned on my phone light and kept it pointed behind me and swept my flashlight up and down as I walked. The whole walk back I heard rustlings, first along one side, then following behind, I kept a steady pace and acted cool, even though I was terrified. Shortly before I was back on site, the feeling left. No more sounds. My wife and I enjoyed pizza and slept in. Two days later, we got a shock from the news. A homeless woman was found less than 1,500 yards from our site that had been mauled and partially consumed in what appeared to be a cougar attack. Estimates of the time of death were the same night I went out for pizza. When I was in 5th grade, some guy who was mentally ill had a meltdown somewhere in Chicago. Apparently he shot and killed some random guy and stole his car. He drove up I-94 towards my suburb, got off the highway and drove straight into my neighborhood. It's very close to the exit and just started shooting sporadically at people's houses. He somehow wound up in my backyard, which is full of trees, and was just shooting in every direction. I can still vividly remember brake lights in the middle of the otherwise pitch-black woods and sparks from the gunfire going off in every direction. The cops showed up and shot him to death. Luckily, no one else was hurt, but my neighbors did find a bullet in the middle of their mattress. few days ago my iPhone would not accept my fingerprint for Touch ID – any of my fingerprints. My dog stayed on the other side of the apartment from me and wouldn't take any treats from me. I trained him not to take treats from anyone except me to avoid poisoning or illness, but he wouldn't even take his favorite treats from me or cuddle with me. When I went to hug him, he hid in his kennel. My PIN number didn't work for my debit card, so I wound up running it as credit. I used the same pin for everything. The only websites I could get into were Reddit, Gmail, and Amazon – pages where my password is stored. Any website where I had to enter username and password, it kept coming back as incorrect. Thank God there's no password to wake my computer up, or I wouldn't have been able to do any work that day. The next day, though, everything was back to normal. Working as a 911 dispatcher, I got a call from a house. Call it back. It's been disconnected. This is actually fairly common and happened whenever it rained. The backstory on the house is that it was vacant and used to have an active landline. The theory was that the water was somehow getting to the telephone system to the house and was setting off false alarms. Well, we get one, and I thought about just saying screw it, but I stuck with protocol and sent an officer anyway. Good thing. The vacant house had just caught on fire, the day after a rainstorm. Never found a witness, and the house was saved. It was winter break, freshman year of college. I drove up to visit one of my friends in northwestern Pennsylvania for New Year's. I needed to be back home the next day for work, so I decided to drive back at like 2am. I was driving down Interstate 79 and maybe saw two cars in a 60-mile span. I came up around a bend and saw what looked like a black bear in my lane and I swerved and went off the road and crashed into a tree line next to the highway. I was in the middle of nowhere and the bear just booked it into the woods. My car was totaled and I knew I wasn't going to see any cars for hours to help me out. I called 911 and they said that they would come in like 20 minutes. I got out of the car and stood up on the shoulder of the highway and waited. After about five minutes, I heard some rustling in the bushes, and there it was – the bear. Turns out when I went off the road, I hit a cub and Mama Bear was ticked off. I booked it over to the back of the car and hopped in the trunk. Thank goodness I had a big Ford Expedition so the bear couldn't mess with it too much. For another half an hour, the bear tried ramming the car and was trying to get to me in a frenzy. The police showed up and the sirens scared Mama Bear off into the woods again. It was the most terrifying experience of my life. I grew up in a forestry cottage miles away from any town. We often got toads and birds and other woodland creatures in the house out of the blue. I was seven at the time and suffered from night terrors. My parents would often find me about the house at night speaking nonsense or screaming. must have freaked them out to no end. For a few nights, I had been shouting at my parents, convinced there was something in my bed. I couldn't sleep because of it, but obviously my parents put it down to nightmares. I kept saying something was shaking in my bed and scratching me, so they took all my blankets and toys out to show me there was nothing there, but I was still convinced. I was an odd child, so people often thought I was just making things up. Turns out a bat had gotten into the duvet cover. I opened it up one night and this thing flew out. My parents ran in and turned the light on to find this bat dinging around the room. Sometimes I am still woken up by that feeling that there is a bat in my blanket. My great aunt died in August of 2012. Six months later, in February of 2013, my cousin was playing in a hockey tournament. He was extremely close to our aunt and was pretty devastated by the loss. His team was never that good. However, in this particular tournament, they were doing really well, so well that they made it to the finals. They lost, but that's where fate comes into play. All of the runner-up trophies were wrapped in newspaper. My cousin pulled a trophy out of the box, and the single piece of paper wrapped around it was my aunt's obituary from six months earlier. Years ago, around Halloween, my family had gathered to watch scary movies. My mom loved these things. My dad didn't care much for them, though, so he'd get up every few minutes to go work on something or other. We'd started watching Hitchcock's The Birds, and it was getting late, probably close to midnight, and it was getting cold. Not just a late October chill of the foothills we lived in. The house itself was getting cold. At first my mom just asked my dad to turn up the thermostat, but after a couple minutes of the furnace running and the house still not warming up, he realized he needed to go check the furnace. He grabbed a lighter and headed downstairs. A minute later, we hear him shout for us to come down. You have to come see this, he says with something that sounds part excitement, part nervousness in his voice. We get down there to see him shining a flashlight into the furnace. Peering in first, we just noticed the pilot light was indeed out. But then we saw the reason. A dead bird. Something about the size of the palm of my hand, maybe a sparrow, had flown into the furnace from outside and put the flame out." Up next, did the light of heaven shine supernaturally onto the body of boxer Luke McCartney when he died in the ring? Thousands of witnesses say yes as does the photographic evidence. And Anna Baker's father would not allow her to marry the man she loved, but that did not stop her from wearing her wedding dress numerous times before her death. These stories are coming up. Hey, Weirdos! Now through February 27th, everything in the Weird Darkness store is up to 35% off. That means t-shirts are as low as 13 bucks. phone cases can be grabbed for just $20, and hoodies are only 13 bucks. Start shopping at WeirdDarkness.com store, and if you don't like what you see on the Weird Darkness store page, use the search function to find what you do like. There are hundreds of thousands of designs to choose from, and no matter what design you choose, 100% of the profits I receive are donated to organizations that help people struggling with depression. So grab your weird. Darkness merchandise, help those struggling with depression, and save money at the same time. Start shopping by clicking on Store at WeirdDarkness.com. Remember, the sale ends February 27, 2022. WeirdDarkness.com store. Hey Weirdos, there is a new social media platform in town and I'm inviting you to follow me there. You can find it at WeirdDarkness.locals.com. Again, that's WeirdDarkness.locals.com. This is a new page that I've set up specifically for my official Weirdos, where you'll get the commercial-free version of the podcast each day, exclusive news and content, I'll be uploading videos there, scheduling live stream events and live chats, and you can make your own posts and interact with me and other official Weirdos. It's bringing all the best parts of YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter together in one place! Join me at WeirdDarkness.locals.com – that's WeirdDarkness.locals.com. Looking forward to hanging out with you! The 6-foot-4-inch Luther McCarty was a talented young boxer and actually ended up making his full professional debut at the tender age of 18. This debut fight took place on the 7th of January 1911, and his opponent was a guy named Watt Adams. Luther managed to demolish him within two rounds. Over the next 12 months, Luther skyrocketed to stardom as he smashed through every fighter put in front of him the public began to pin the nickname of Loot on him. Such was the dominance of Loot that a championship bout was arranged for New Year's Day 1913. This big-time main event was to be against a fighter named Al Palzer, the white world heavyweight champion. Palzer was absolutely smashed during the fight, but managed to get out of it with a TKO. He handed over his belt to Loot. The boxing community went wild with this win, and promoters started to battle to set up a legendary fight between Lute and Jack Johnson. But this fight never took place. Before his big fight with Johnson, Lute took part in a sort of warm-up match against a fighter named Arthur Pelkey. This fight should have been fairly routine for a boxer of Lute's quality. In the very first round of the fight, Lute took a rather feeble punch to the heart area and collapsed instantly. He lay motionless on the floor as the referee counted him out. The referee, Ed Smith, started to panic. Something was not quite right here. Medical professionals jumped into the ring and tried their best to revive the famous fighter, but it was no use. After eight minutes, Loot was pronounced dead. As Loot lay on the boxing ring canvas being counted out, the 6,000-strong crowd all witnessed an amazing, paranormal light beam down on the stricken boxer's body. The light seemed to hit him as the referee started to count, then disappear as soon as the count was over. The shaft of light seemed to be the perfect size to cover only Lutz's body. There's only one photo image of this strange light – the photo used for the cover art of this Weird Darkness episode – and it's been debated ever since by thousands of skeptics. Most of these people believe the photo to have been somehow faked. But just over 6,000 people at that fight also personally witnessed this heavenly light. A coroner's report later determined that the cause of Lute's death was probably linked to a horse-riding accident that he had suffered just days before the fight took place. So what was this strange light? Was it an ethereal sign from a higher power calling Lute home? The perfect man, the perfect dress, what more could a girl ask for? How about her father's approval? In 1836, Elias Baker and his cousin Roland Diller bought the Allegheny Furnace in Altoona, Blair County, Pennsylvania. This iron furnace would help them amass a fortune from the rich iron deposits in the area. Elias moved his wife Hetty and their two sons David Woods and Sylvester from Lancaster County all the way to Altoona into a mansion near the furnace. Shortly thereafter, Hetty bore a daughter, Anna, and another girl, Margareta, in 1839. Unfortunately, Margareta died after just two short years. In 1844, Elias bought out his cousin's share in the furnace, and then, in 1845, construction began on his new home, the Baker Mansion, which was completed in 1849. Elias was a very proud man and ruled his family with an iron fist. Little did he know his only daughter, Anna, had fallen in love with one of his employees, a lowly steelworker. She and the steelworker planned to marry in secret. She even had the dress. But her father discovered their hidden love affair, and he forbade her to marry him. Taking after her father, Anna was stubborn and fought long and hard. She didn't care about the comforts money brought her. She did not care about fine clothing or jewelry. She didn't need a big fancy home. Her mother Hetty fought for her daughter, praising the man Anna wished to marry. Unfortunately, Elias would not listen, and it was then that Anna made the decision to remain single for the rest of her life. Elias didn't give up, though, and he brought her suitor after suitor. She denied them all, letting her anger win over any chance at happiness. The dress Anna had purchased had once belonged to Elizabeth Bell, the daughter of another Iron Master in the area. Elizabeth mocked Anna for never being married. By the time Elias Baker died in 1848, it was too late and Anna's love had moved on. She remained alone in the house, angry and bitter, but there were those occasions when the servants of the household would spot her wearing her wedding dress and dancing under the moonlight until she died in 1914. It is widely known that the Baker Mansion is haunted. The county purchased the mansion in 1941 and turned it into a museum. Anna's wedding dress was put on display in what used to be her bedroom. Staff at the museum have noticed the dress moving within its glass case. When the moon is full, the dress would strike violently on the glass case. Some believe the movement of the wedding dress and the glass case can be attributed to old historical floorboards being weak or loose. Others say it's nothing more than drafts. A study was conducted to find out the real reason behind the movement of the dress. Cameras were aimed at the glass case and when no one was present in the museum, the dress could still be seen moving. It must be Anna's spirit living within the dress, or trying to get to it. Those same cameras also captured spectral forms and images of a bitter old woman in front of the mirror. Furniture had been spotted moving. And the sound of footsteps have also been heard. A music box left in one of the rooms could be heard playing, when no one was present inside the room. The spirit of Elias has been spotted in the dining room as well, while a woman in a black dress believed to be Hetty has been spotted on the third floor. Anna's brother, David Baker, was killed in the steamboat accident in 1852. His body was stored in one of the rooms until the frozen ground had thawed enough for him to have a proper burial. People have reported hearing screams coming from that very room. Today, the Baker Mansion is still open to the public. However, Anna Baker's wedding dress is no longer on permanent display due to deterioration caused by exposure to light and airborne pollutants. Plus, telling others about Weird Darkness also helps get the word out about resources that are available for those who suffer from depression, so please share the podcast with someone today. Do you have a dark tale to tell of your own? Fact or fiction, click on Tell Your Story on the website, and I might use it in a future episode. All stories in Weird Darkness are purported to be true unless stated otherwise, and you can find source links or links to the authors in the show notes. People Who Survived Real-Life Horror Stories was gathered by Rosa Pasquarella for Graveyard Shift. Did the Light of Heaven Shine Down on Boxer Luther McCarty is from Real Paranormal Experiences. And Anna Baker's Wedding Dress is from The Scare Chamber. Weird Darkness Theme by Alibi Music Weird Darkness is a registered trademark. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. And a final thought by Lou Holtz. If you're bored with life, if you don't get up every morning with a burning desire to do things, you don't have enough goals. I'm Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. Attention, weirdos! Our next Weirdo Watch Party is Saturday, March 12th, when horror host Tim the Enchanter brings us a moldy oldie with 1932's The Monster Walks. People in an old, dark house on a stormy night are menaced by a killer chimpanzee. (laughs) Wow, even the premise of this film is terrible. Watch the film with me and other Weirdo family members as we jump into the chat during the movie and discuss the story, the sets, the acting, the music, poke fun at those elements that deserve it. You'll want to join us for the Monster Walks. Critics raved. Coventry's review said, Low, lower, lowest budget. Theo Robertson commented, Any entertainment is unintentional. Rainy Dawn called it, Slow and corny. Red Barracuda said of the Monster Walks, "...a ridiculous but not unenjoyable flick." Alan Vass's review reads, Absolutely terrible horror mystery that's painfully dull with laughable dialogue and wooden performances. And Art22 says it's a horror film that doesn't scare but will have you roaring with laughter at its ineptness. How can you not watch a film with such amazing reviews like those? The Weirdo Watch Party is always free, so grab your movie popcorn, candy, and soda, and join us Saturday night, March 12th, as horror host Tim the Enchanter brings us 1932's The Monster The fun begins at 7 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. in Hawaii, 3 a.m. for Greenwich Mean Time. You can see those times again for your local area and learn more about the event on the Weirdo Watch Party page at WeirdDarkness.com. And we'll see you there Saturday, March 12th.